Mark chapter 9, verses uh, 14 through 29. Mark 9, it says, um, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. Men in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat? Just want to say welcome to everyone. I know some of you came to church. Some of you guys are new to church or new to faith, and uh, you were like, "All right, fine. I'm going to check it out this morning, just as long as the pastor doesn't talk about demons." So sorry. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, I'll talk a little more late, later, but I just want to—I just do want to say welcome to all of you here. We're so glad you're here this morning. Sanctuary seeks to be a, a safe and a sacred place, and we uh, love anybody on any stage of their spiritual journey to, to come here and encounter God just as you are. So just invite you guys to um, I just welcome you, especially if there's folks here that don't, wouldn't call yourselves Christians, just um, I'm so thankful that you're here. We are, and we're excited to get to know you, and we just invite you to listen with us this morning. And I think God has something for you and all of us this morning. Uh, a while back, uh, my son Silas found an old iPhone in my dresser. He was digging through my top dresser drawer, and he found the iPhone 3. So it kind of looked like this, but it had curved sides. You guys remember those ones? Some of you guys, I think most everyone was alive when the iPhone 3 came out. Uh, has the old charger. Um, and it had been sitting in there for probably five years, you know. So Silas pulls it out, and he's like, Dad, it's broken. It doesn't work. Um, and I said, I, I didn't tell him that it probably would have worked if he plugged it in. 
But he, I said, yeah, it's broken. Why don't you just pretend it's an iPhone? You can go walk around. And so he was on the phone, and he watches adults play with their phones enough. He knows exactly what to do with it. Um, and so he went around pretending to talk on the phone. But I, my, my question is, have you guys ever thought of, about these items? I know we like, there's a lot of problems with them. You know, they've kind of ruined our society and everything. But have you ever thought about how amazing they are? Like, all the things you can do with them? I think I lived, like, two-thirds of my life before I got one of these things. And I, it's kind of fuzzy. I can't even remember it, you know, because it's just like, what, how did we live without these? I'm not arguing that they're, like, good for us. I mean, maybe, in fact, I think a lot of ways they're not good for us. But they do a lot of cool stuff, don't they? What do they do? They text they call, they Skype, they Zoom, they make videos. You can make slow-mo videos with them. You can record audio. You can track your steps. You can track your calories. You can do your banking, track your spending. You can, they pinpoint your location anywhere so you never get lost again. Who, whoever gets lost, we don't ever get lost because we have these guys. They're your calendar, contact book, camera. They access the internet. They talk to your thermostat. Like some of you guys could, right now could just turn down the temperature on your house right now, right? You can give at church. They read your fingerprint. You can pay for your groceries with them. I just, if we need groceries now, there's this thing called Instacart. Do you guys ever done this yet? Just type it in and it shows up at your door. Somebody just brings them to your door. This thing is amazing, right? You can edit your photos if you're Andrew and make them look way cooler than you really are. The last four years, you even discovered you can run the country from this thing while you're sitting on your toilet, you know? Like, you can, you can cause the stock market to fall based on your latest tweet. But here's what I want to say is you can't do any of these things unless this guy has power. Well, think about that for a minute, right? Unless this thing is frequently plugged into an external power source, it's basically just a little toy that Silas plays pretend with, right? I mean, you can, you can make believe, you can recycle a dead phone, you, can, you can't really do anything else with a dead phone, right? You can use it as a paperweight, I guess. But without power, without an ongoing regular pattern of connecting to an external power source, this amazing thing can't do any of the amazing things it was designed to do. And so some of you know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> See, I mean, we are way cooler than our phones, but we're, we're not above our phones in some ways. We were created by a loving God to do amazing things, right? We were created to run all these amazing programs that bring life and flourishing all around us. But for that to work, we need power. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need power. All right? And so we're in this series called Your Best Life Now. There it is, power. That's what we need right there. All right, but we're in this series called Your Best Life Now. And I get to wrap it up before Vision Sunday, so this is cool. And we've been in this series talking about kingdom values that are unique to the church that actually we need to recover and um, that the world needs us to have, right? Because the world is falling apart and they need to see pictures of the kingdom, which means we have to embody it. And so we're talking about these amazing values 
As two of you, you talked about the gospel, which is the message of good news. Talked about identity. We've talked about community. And we've talked about mission. But we saved this one for last because like these guys, we, the church, are like a mobile human operating system. And we want to run all these amazing values and apps in our lives. But we need power to do it. And so I want to look this morning at uh, talk about power, why we need it, spiritual power, and how we access it. So I read this scripture this morning, and it's talking, I mean, basically, it's this very interesting story about the disciples. Um, Jesus had just, in this text we read, Jesus, the, the backstory is Jesus had just taken his you know, three of the disciples on a special trip up the Mount of Transfiguration. And the other nine were like the B team, and they didn't get picked to go up on the mountain, right? And so they're feeling an inferiority complex, and they're hanging out. And all of a sudden, um, and the thing all of them had just finished doing is Jesus had just sent them all out, all 12 of them, on a mission to preach the gospel to heal people, and to cast out demons, right? And they had been successful. In fact, they come back to Jesus and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And so they have, they're kind of, have their suspenders pulled out a little bit, and they're very confident because they're like, so the nine are probably feeling bad about themselves, and when this, when this um, man comes with a demon-possessed child, can you imagine that? Child that's foaming at the mouth, that's injuring himself because there's some kind of evil spirit operating in them. And so they, uh, they try to cast it out, but they can't. They can't do it. And so what I want to do is I want to share out of the Scripture two, um, two things about power that we need to know this morning, okay? So here's the first. First thing, insight from the Scripture is that we need power, but we often lack power. We need power, but we often lack power. And often, one of the reasons we don't see the breakthroughs that we long for is because we lack power. So the disciples were longing for this breakthrough. They wanted this child to be healed, right, for a variety of reasons. One, I mean, does anyone have kids? Like, do you know when your kid has a fever, when your kid's suffering? I mean, it's just painful to watch, right? Like, when children are sick, it's heartbreaking. Last night, Sarah and I were watching Chicago Med, or Sarah watches all the Chicago PD Med and Fire. I'm calling her out. Because they're mindless serial dramas that, you know, aren't super dark, and they are very predictable. But there was this episode, and this child died, and it, and it was heartbreaking, Right? So they, just on the basis of human compassion, they want to help this kid. On the other hand, they're feeling, there's a whole crowd around, right? And they're on the spot, and they're like, well, you guys weren't cool enough to go on the mountain with Jesus, but can you cast this demon, demon out? And um, everyone's watching, and they couldn't do it. And it's not that they were doing anything different from before, right? They tried, they'd cast out all kinds of demons, but they get to this one, and they can't do it. 
And as we read on in the story, Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, you were saying the wrong words, or, oh, no, only the Son of God can cast out demons, or there's some other reason they were exempted. Your technique wasn't right. You were, you know, using four fingers instead of two when you laid it on the sick child. No, he said, this kind's just more powerful, and you guys weren't strong enough. All right, now, before I continue, let me just say a word about demons, okay? Because I know, like, some of you guys need a little help here, so... Um, I knew that preaching on demons was going to wig you out. I also know that um, I always preach on demons every time I'm here. So you can't blame this on Andrew, all right? So if you're freaked out, you know, that's okay. It's my fault, all right? Yeah, this is why Andrew gave this one to me. And I told him I was preaching on demons. He's like, oh, geez, Craig. Um, and whether some of us are, are, are not um, Christian, or we don't have like a spiritualistic worldview. Some of us are Christian, and we're all just freaked out by demons, right? And I just think it's cool that when we come to sanctuary, we, we speak out of the Bible. Um, and the Bible doesn't always square with our postmodern, post-enlightenment, 21st century, materialistic worldview, right? And I think that's actually okay. Because I don't actually think our postmodern, post-enlightenment, 21st century materialistic worldview that the Brown Science Department teaches us about actually does a very good job of explaining the human condition or how we can flourish as human beings, right? It, it can explain a lot of things. It can predict what will happen in a repeated experiment, in a, in a test tube, in a laboratory. But... Um, and our worldview filters out anything usually that isn't scientifically measurable, right? Unless it happened in a double-blind, peer-reviewed study, like we can't, you know, it's not real. Well, we all know you can't measure evil in a test tube, right? You can't measure evil in a double-blind double study, right? Does that mean evil doesn't exist? Okay, anybody think evil? I mean, if you do, it's okay. It just means you're like, I don't know, not reading the news or whatever. So, Evil exists, and actually what's helpful is that the scriptures have talked about this for a long time and describe it in a way that's very helpful. They describe evil on multifaceted levels that match with our experience of the human condition, that evil takes place inside our own hearts. It gets embedded in human systems, and it seems that evil actually seems to have an intentionality and almost a, a, a personality behind it. It operates and morphs into different, um, into different ways. And so when the Bible talks about the demonic, I just want to encourage you, even if you think it's weird, like there's a lot of weird things that happen in the world that we can't measure scientifically. And I, I think this is a really helpful way to understand it. Let me just give you an example of a modern-day demonic force. Is that cool? It's called racism. Has anyone heard of racism? All right, now racism um, is a pernicious evil that's existed all throughout human history. It definitely has been our, I mean, even people that aren't Christians call it our nation's original sin, right? Racism is a tendency that exists in every human being, right? We have the tendency to form tribalistic associations, right? Just watch Survivor. You put people on an island, what happens? They make teams, they fight each other, okay? So this is there. Racism also, over time, becomes embedded in systems and structures. 
But one of the things, if you read about like Dr. King and people that actually saw incredible victories over racism in their, in their, I don't know, whatever you call it, careers, Dr. King was always clear that at its base, racism is a spiritual problem, right? It has intense spiritual dynamics. And if we don't have spiritual power, we can't dislodge it. And I read this really interesting book called The Stone of Hope, written not by a Christian, but by a, a secular scholar at University of North Carolina, um, that really said, for example, um, Jim Crow segregation. Modern, secular, liberal people wanted to get rid of this for a long time. President Roosevelt, all kinds of the Democratic Party, all throughout the early 20th century. But his analysis was they didn't have enough power, spiritual power, to actually move the ball. Does that make sense? It wasn't until there was a religious revival in the black church of the American South, right? Through prayer meetings, right? Scripture uh, studies, marches, spiritual songs, that a community of people developed a sufficient amount of spiritual power to dislodge the demonic force of racism from the Jim Crow South. Not that we've gotten rid of it, it just took different forms. But they were able to actually see change in a spiritual problem because they had spiritual power. Does that make sense? You following me? And there's a lot of, this is just one example of a place where we need spiritual power to see breakthrough in the problems facing us. The environmental crisis. Does it have material problems? Do we need to stop making you know, emitting carbon, yes. But is it also a spiritual problem? Yes, right? Loneliness, isolation, uh, depression, anxiety. Are these public health crises? Yes. Are they also spiritual? Do they have spiritual roots? Yes. And so there are spiritual dynamics to so many of the breakthroughs that all of us long to see. But if we miss the fact that we need spiritual power then we, we ignore that at our peril. We need power, but we lack power. Sanctuary Church, if you've been here any length of time, you know that as a church we're longing for revival. We have heard stories of God moving in history, of God stepping into our nation, our city. In the past, when things have been dark, and pouring out his spirit and his power and changing things. I don't have to go through all the examples. This happened so many times through the history of the church. But one example, in 200 years ago in this city, the Holy Spirit moved. There was a great revival in this city of Providence. 5% of the population came to faith in a few months. It changed the economics of the city. I have a book on my coffee table that describes all the ways that the economic patterns of the city changed and were blessed because of the move of God. And so we're longing for that, aren't we? Some of us have been longing for it for a long time. I have. Many of us have. We're longing for God to do it again. And we've seen some cool things happen in sanctuary, haven't we, in the last, I mean, I've been here like, what, five years, four years? See, some cool things happen, but in the words of Bono, we still haven't found what we're looking for, right? We have not seen the breakthrough we're longing to. And what I want to say is that one of the reasons 
is that we lack power. It's like we're at the gym, and I go to the gym every three times a week, and I'm power lifting, all right? So I know about power. And it's like we want to lift like a 400-pound weight, but we're only able to lift 100 pounds. We lack power. There are many of us in the room that aren't just longing for mega breakthroughs. You guys are longing for breakthroughs in your own life. Maybe God has placed a calling on your life that's bigger than what you're able to do. Maybe he's called you to start a business or an organization that ends human trafficking or a Bible study in your um, office lunchroom. Or maybe some of us are praying for healing, spiritual healing, physical healing, emotional healing. Others of us want to see addictions broken in our lives or those we love. Some of us want to see injustice and oppression broken off. Some of us desperately want to see our friends and family come to faith. One of the reasons, and not the only reason, but one reason that we don't see the breakthroughs that we long to see is because we lack power. So what do we do when we lack power? We give up and we go home and just quit, right? Right, Pat Brown? That's what we do? Yeah, no, that's not what we do. (laughs) We don't quit. Uh, We get more power. There's this show, Home Improvement. Do you guys ever see that Home Improvement show? I mean, this is old here, but whenever there was a problem, Tim Allen, like, what was always the solution? More power. So, you know, he would hook up. I don't know. You Go watch the show. There's probably on, uh, what's that TV network that plays the old shows? The FX? I don't know. Something like that. Second point I want to make about power is that power comes from prayer. Power comes through prayer. So the disciples tried and failed very publicly, embarrassingly, to drive out this demon. Jesus steps up, and he actually doesn't do anything different from them. He doesn't, the text doesn't say Jesus does anything at all that's different than the disciples. Jesus says, you mute and deaf spirit, come out of him and never return. And out the demon goes, right? Jesus did nothing different. And they come to him and they say, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And he said, this kind only comes out by prayer. This kind only comes out by prayer. Guys, there are many things in our lives and in the world that only happen by prayer. If we're like this phone, then God, the Holy Spirit, is like the infinite spirit, right, of electric power that's coursing through the national grid, right, that's right in the walls right now. God is like that, infinite supply of power. How do we access it? We need this, right? You ever leave home and you forget this guy? It's like, what are you going to do? You have to drive back and get this, right? If you go on a road trip and you forget this, you're toast. This thing is like prayer. Prayer is the conduit through which the power and the presence of God flows into our lives. And so, but without this connection to God, a regular connection, I want you to think for a minute about how often you have to plug your phone in, all right? Sarah plugs her phone in religiously at night, and so it's always full, right? 
We plug in our phones when we go to the office. I have extra ones of these all over in every car, in every room of the house, right? I just buy them on Amazon. Why? Because I always lose them. But like some of, we need to plug in our phones like all the time. Think about it. You plug it in at night. It's plugged in eight hours a day. That's a third of every day it's plugged in, right? And so I want to say like we're not this, but we're not above this. If we have to plug in our phones for hours out of every day, then we need to be plugged in to God. That's prayer. So it was prayer that gave Jesus the, power, the reservoir of power that was needed to dislodge this demon. Now, what's really interesting, though, is does Jesus, so Jesus says this kind comes out by prayer. Here, imagine the scene. He's around this whole, this whole crowd is coming over. He wants to actually get this demon out quickly because he knows it's going to be ugly. And if you've ever seen a demon come out, it is. It's ugly. You can talk. By the way, if you have any questions about this, please come talk to me afterwards. I'm happy to talk more. But um, so he wants to get it out quickly. And if you notice what he doesn't do, he doesn't be like, now, everyone, just wait a second. Let me just pray real quick right now. I'm just going to pray. Oh, God, please give me the power to cast this demon out. Amen. You know, cross himself. And then he's like, okay, demon, come out. Does he do that? Is that recorded? No, he doesn't pray. It doesn't seem to pray at all. Isn't that interesting? He just talks to the demon and it comes out. Why is that? What is the prayer Jesus is talking about? The prayer is not some magical incantation that he says before he performs the exorcism. The prayer is actually a habit, a lifestyle of prayer that Jesus is spending regular time in prayer all the time, just like your phone is regularly attached to the wall. When Jesus goes into public ministry, he goes aside for 40 days into the wilderness. What's he doing there? I don't know. He's praying. Before Jesus called the disciples, he went up on a mountain and he prayed through the night. People are constantly looking for Jesus. They're like, Jesus, everyone's coming to look for you. Where'd, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Where's Jesus? They go look around and they find him. What's he doing? He's praying. Jesus says in John, I do nothing on my own. I only see what I do the Father doing. It's almost like Jesus has this constant connection. And we can't get wireless charging, you know, to where you have to have it touching. Does anyone have a wireless charger? You know, I have one at my office. I put it on there. It has to be touching. But it's almost like Jesus has like a wireless charger to God. It's just always connected. When Jesus talks to the disciples on the night he's betrayed, he says, I'm the vine. And you're the branches. If you remain connected to me, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, does he mean like really nothing? No, I think we can do stuff. But like a phone, we wear out. And there's actually nothing of lasting eternal value that we can do apart from Jesus. And so I just want to say, I think each of us need rhythms of prayer. If we want to grow in power, what do we need to do? We need rhythms of prayer in our lives. 
the church for a long time has had rhythms of fixed hour prayer where they would, you know, and I do this too. I set an alarm and Sarah hates it, but I set an alarm three times a day to go off. Sorry, honey. I mean, it's, I picked the wrong alarm setting. Like I picked some of those really, like there's some nice alarms or the buzz, but I pick really, so it's mostly that. Uh, and it goes off in, in opportune times, but it reminds me to connect to God. The prayer, daily prayer app, you can do that on your phone. Um, we need weekly rhythms of prayer. The Sabbath is a space where we can get recharged with God. So I, I, I think we, we need to set aside longer periods every week where we connect to God. Sometimes we need extended times of prayer. My friend Allison, I don't know if she's here. BB, oh, there she is. I called her out. Allison um, is in between jobs, and um, which can be a stressful time, right? But one of the cool things Allison has done is she's decided, this is my sabbatical. I'm in between jobs. And I'm going to take this time as an extended period to be with God, to study. She found this cool place in Westboro, West, West, Southboro, Mass called Labrie. And it's a place where she's come aside for weeks at a time to be with God. And she's going to get a job eventually, but this time is really important for her. And I just want to say, Allison, I have seen a change in you. Like you've, I don't want to say you were stressed before, but you were stressed before. And I've watched a peace and a joy and a presence come over you. The other day, Allison had this cool idea for InterVarsity, the ministry I do. It was so cool, I had her on the phone with all the bigwigs, area directors, and she was sharing her idea and her experience. And Allison ended up encouraging and preaching. She was sharing scriptures. She was calling out full-time ministry leaders. And we were like, you know what, thank you. Because God in Allison was ministering to us because she's come away to be with God. When we pray, what are we looking for? Is it just that we pray? The kind of prayer that increases our power is the prayer when we grow in our intimacy with God, our love relationship with God, and when we grow in surrender to God. It's surrender when we surrender, when God can have his way with us, that's when the power begins to flow. God says, you're ready, and I'm going to release my presence and my power into your life. Every revival takes this pattern. God calls a people to do something that's way too big for them. He called the early church to that. And he says, instead of running out and trying to do it on your own, Jesus says to the church, I'm going to use you to witness to the entire world, but don't go out and do it. Wait in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And so they gather and they seek God and they pray. That's what we need to do as a church. That's what our altar spaces are. We want to invite you guys to come check those out. But I just want to close by saying you were made, all of us, each of us was made to be filled with the power and the presence of God. I want to invite you right now, just take a breath and hold it. Keep holding it. 
How ridiculous would it be if you never released that breath and breathed another one, right? How ridiculous would it be if we walked through life trying to hold our, you can breathe now. How ridiculous would it be if we walked through life holding our breath? And yet breath is such a picture for us of prayer and spiritually, many of us, myself included, are walking through our days and we're holding our breath. We're not allowing the presence of God to come in and out, to fl- the power of God to flow in and out of us moment by moment. There is so much more available to you, but you have to want it. I want to just close with um, a story about a, a missionary named Frank Laubach. He's a hero of mine. He's a missionary in the Philippines. He went there in 1915. A few years later, his wife died, and he had a faith crisis. And he met God on a mountain in 1928. He encountered the presence of God, and he made a decision that he was going to try his best to live his life in a conscious awareness of God's presence. It started out, he was going to, every 15 minutes, he was going to try to remember God. And it ended up becoming for him what he called a game of minutes. And once every minute, he was going to just fix his focus on God. And he never did it. He never got there. Don't worry. It's like, that, that wasn't the goal. But through this game he played with God, he began to cultivate this connection to God. And I want to read you his journal. A couple, uh, just an entry from his journal. He says, Two years ago, a profound dissatisfaction led me to begin trying to line up my actions with the will of God about every 15 minutes. People I told about this said it was impossible. And I judged that very few people are even trying to do it. This year, I decided I would try to turn my attention to God every minute, asking without ceasing, what father do you desire said? What father do you desire done this minute? He says, we used to sing a song in church where I grew up I liked, but I never practiced until until now. It says, moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment, I have life from above. Looking till to Jesus till glory doth shine, moment by moment, O Lord, I am I am thine. It is exactly that moment by moment, every waking moment, surrender, responsiveness, obedience, sensitivity, pliability, lost in His love, that I now have the mind bent to explore with all my might. It means two burning passions: first, to be like Jesus; second, to respond. Check this out: to God as a violin responds to the bow of his master. Open your soul and entertain the glory of God. And after a while, that glory will be reflected in the world about you and in the very clouds above your head. I feel carried along every hour, doing my part in a plan which is beyond myself. The sense of cooperation with God in the little things is what astonishes me. My part is to live this hour in continuous inner conversation with God and have perfect responsiveness to his will. To make this hour gloriously rich, this is all I need to think about. Two years after this, Frank Laubach returned to the island where he'd experienced failure 
in his mission where his wife had died. And he went to uh, the Moros, the Muslim Moro people who regarded Christians as their enemies. But Labak went with a heart filled with the presence of God and sought only to live among them, not trying to coerce them into Christianity, but just living each moment with a sense of God's presence. And it's estimated that he was responsible for teaching 50,000 people to read and write. And more than that, he brought thousands of people to a richer experience of God. There's more for us. There's more for us of God's power, His presence, if we want it. So I'm going to open up a, a, a moment for us to respond. The, the band's going to play. Just right now, I, I want to invite you just where you are. You can feel free to sit or stand, whatever helps you come into God's presence. We're going to sing a song, but I want to invite you guys to consider some specific responses right now. If you're longing for more of the power and presence of God, it's available. Before the service, I had an image. I feel like it was from God of a cloud circling gently, graciously overhead. It's filled with electricity. And all we needed to do was put up our hands we're going to have uh, prayer, some prayer folks and if, if you are a prayer person you want to come up and pray you feel free to come up at this time if you want to come forward for prayer that's fine if you want to just pray where you are some of us right now to receive more power actually need to confess sin in our lives sin is like a blockage in the power cord that stops the power from flowing we can pray all we want but that blockage needs to be removed. So I want to invite you, if that's you, if God's bringing something to mind, I want to just invite you to confess it and repent and receive his grace. Some of us need to surrender control. Maybe it's control of one specific area. It's surrender that releases the power of God. Maybe some of us need to surrender our lives to Jesus. Some of you are here, maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus before. That relationship, God wants you to begin that this morning. And all you have to do is say, Lord, I surrender myself to you. Some of us this morning, you know that you need to commit to regular rhythms and patterns of prayer in your life. So this morning, I want to invite you, if that's you, just draw a line in the sand, step over it and say, I'm going to pray in these ways invite you to feel free to find somebody you know next to you and ask them to pray for you. Tell them what your commitment is. Ask them to pray for you right now. Some of you, I want to invite you to play a game and to experiment this week. I want to challenge some of you, and I'm going to try this myself, to see if we can think of God every few minutes for this next week and see what happens. See if we can say a short prayer, a breath prayer to God frequently and see what, if we practice his presence, what will happen in our lives. Finally, some of us need to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. 
I'm just going to open up this space. I've given you guys some prompts. I want to invite you. You can sing, but I want to invite you. If God is doing something in your life right now, I just want to bless it. Lord, in this time, we as a church know that we need more power. We want more power, God. We want to connect to you more consistently through prayer. And so we pray right now, Lord, would you do whatever you need to do to connect us to you and to allow more of your presence and power into our lives. This time is yours, Lord. Amen.